they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July 22nd, the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene. St. Mary Magdalene, pray for us. We're going to do some Bible study today, and we want to look about how our example can be for good or ill. And I'm glad to be here, Mary Danielle. Yeah, Terry. And my goodness, um, (laughs) we have two funerals going on, a wedding rehearsal tonight. Other than that, I have nothing going on. (laughs) But Mary, uh, I love what you're doing because uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, any of these short books of the Bible are just really short and powerful, whether it's James or 2 Peter, whatever they are, they're just so good. And so I'm glad that you're going to, you know, read from the... But first Peter chapter three, because I would think that would be a good chapter for everyone to read for the weekend also. So we have we're looking here at we've been looking at the letter of Peter for a couple of weeks now. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, there's it's so rich and there's yes. there's actually so much in this chapter we could focus on. Um, this first part could focus on marriage and the meaning of marriage. But I, I want to focus on what something that Peter says here about our example so Peter gives this, and you know, we ask the angels to join us here and ask for the light of the Holy Spirit because we're studying God's holy word. We need God's help. By the way, faith is a gift. If you want it, ask for it. If you once had faith and you think you've lost it, get down on your knees and beg God for the grace of faith. And it's, not a, it's a gift that can be had and lost. Mm. So we need to ask for it every day, an increase of faith every day. So Amen. Peter says, um, he, he had talked about submission in the earlier chapters, okay, already. But now he goes, likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that some, though they do not obey the word, may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. When they see you reverent, when you, they see your reverent and chaste behavior, Let not yours be outward adorning with braiding of hair, decoration of gold and wearing of robes, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable jewel of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So once the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, And you are now her children if you do right and let nothing terrify you. Likewise, you husbands, live considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker sex, since you are joint heirs of the grace of life in order that your prayers may not be hindered. So what is Peter saying here? Well, there are a lot of Christian women who are married to pagans. And he's telling them, don't be preaching to your husband. And don't, um, you know, don't be, uh, it's through your example that you are going to show him. And, and can our example affect people? And sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, what, what difference? They have no business what I'm doing. People shouldn't be looking at what I'm doing. Well, reality of the world we live in, right? People see what we're doing, especially our family members. They see the way we behave. For instance, if we say one thing and act another, they're going to pick up on that. So if we're telling them the truth, but we're not living it, they're going to know it. So we have a great example. Um, St. Alphonsus Liguori talks about this. I believe it's in his book, Glories of Mary. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, you know, people in their devotion to the Blessed Mother. 
And there was this one particular prince who wanted everyone to think that he was devout and prayerful and whatever. So he wore this huge rosary over his robes, very visible, very ostentatious. Everybody knew he wore this rosary. And the prince got very, very ill and he was dying. And the Lord showed him a vision of his judgment. And he was going to go to hell. Wow. He hadn't lived up to his Christian commitment the way he should have. And, and before the judgment was pronounced final, our blessed mother stepped forward and she's holding the rosary, this prince wore, but never prayed. And she takes it and puts it on the scales. And suddenly now the judgment is in favor of his eternal life with God in heaven. Well, what's interesting is the prince got better, but you know, from that moment on, he prayed the rosary. Well, what happened? How could that be wearing a rosary? Well, what happened was the people that he was the prince over saw him wear the rosary and they assumed that because he was wearing it, he was praying it. Yeah. And hundreds of people prayed the rosary because of his example. <laughs> Our example can make a difference in the lives of other people. We can affect them for good or for evil. Are we thinking about what does our example show? Are we considering our actions? You know, Mary, there's another example of just basic piety and reverence for the Blessed Sacrament. I know many non-Catholics who came into the Catholic Church because they saw people reverently adoring Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. That's all they did. They didn't say a word. Right. You know, I have that line, talk is cheap, the supply exceeds demand. Sometimes speaking about it, can actually turn people off. Show me always is better than tell me. And just that scripture verse is so powerful. And that St. Alphonsus, the Cory story, just knocks you off your horse. And can I recommend, folks, St. Alphonsus Liguori wrote over 100 books. And if you go to Tan Books, they carry a lot of his uh, books. And I would recommend anybody reading those books because that really affected me as a young man 45 years ago. Yes. And, and you know, that's it. It's one good book. It can change your life, but you know what? One bad book can do the same thing in the opposite direction. We have negative influences and positive influences in our life. And we can, if you're reading the wrong stuff, you can get very, very confused. We live in a very confused world. And, and I've had some questions in my Bible study. And then recently on the app, um, a young man who came to the Bible study a couple of times, he asked some interesting questions and uh, the questions that he's asking are, well, well, you know, if, if God is spirit, then, and we have a spirit, then aren't we God? <laughs> As I, you know, so I, this is not logical thinking. It's not rational thinking, but it's that new age thinking that we all get to be God. Mm. Well, where does that come from? That's a temptation from the enemy. The enemy, Satan, who rebelled against God, he doesn't want any of us to be in heaven. So he tries to confuse our thinking and, and again, if we have a good example, and this is why it's so important to read the writings of the saints. By the way, reading about the saints may not be helpful because sometimes um, we misinterpret their lives, <laughs> but we can read what they wrote. Right. And, in, and we, and we want to give that example of a, of a sober living. And it's interesting because Peter goes on here, you know, not just wise, be submissive to your husband, by, and by giving your pagan husband a good example of your you know, your quiet, peaceful life, if they see the peace within you, then they'll be drawn to the Lord. But also your modest behavior, okay? We're not dressing to, a, we're not supposed to be dressing to draw attention to ourselves. We're not supposed to be making ourselves. I'm not saying you can't, you know, take care of yourself and 
You should groom your hair. Mm-hmm. You should um, take a bath. You should bathe. By the way, this idea that we have to bathe every single day, and now it's gotten to the point where people are publicly talking about, well, this particular actor bathes twice a day. It's like um, we've gone a little bit far out, right? When we were when we were kids, I remember studying health when I was in high school, and they said actually, if you took a bath once every two weeks, and in the meantime, you wash up every day, you know, and it, the the parts of you that get dirtier, you wash more frequently, but you don't have to take it. It's actually not good for your skin. If there's hard water, it's going to be really hard on your skin. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can't have um, shampoo companies and conditioner companies and soap companies and lotion companies if you don't have people bathing every day because they can't sell their products. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's not a need for them, and and so as much need, we, you know. So, but are we are we as concerned for our soul as we are for the body? You know, how many of you out there, if I said to you, well, you know, I take a bath once a month, uh, no problem. And you would be horrified and shocked and, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be around you. You must smell really bad. Well, what about your soul? You're only going to go to confession once a week or once a month? Excuse me, I said once a month, Yeah, right? once a month. Some people only once a year. Um, well, wait a minute. And, and, and the Eucharist is the food for our souls. And in the, by the way, in the Our Father, our super substantial bread which is daily, that the word not only says super substantial, that is above nature, but, but so it's a clear reference to the Eucharist, but a daily Eucharist. How many of you would, would think that, well, I, can only, I only have to eat one meal a week on Sunday? And yet, what do we do for our souls? And so we have to look for and look, and we have to consider what our behavior, what effect our behavior has on other people. And this is a huge thing in our modern world, in terms of modesty and dress, because people are saying, well, you know, and I've heard women say this, well, if I wear shorts and it's a problem for some man, that's his problem. Well, St. Paul said we're supposed to have consideration for the weakness of our weaker brothers, and that's the Holy Spirit speaking through St. Paul. We're not supposed to lead other people into sin. We're supposed to give an example of a moderate, austere life, a life that's um, governed, excuse me, governed by our love for God. And our love for our neighbor. And, you know, there was a beautiful example of that in, in our modern world. St. Teresa of Calcutta. And St. Teresa of Calcutta, you know, she was a religious sister in a teaching community in India. And she saw the poor on, you know, the, the convent wall. I mean, the sisters in the convent lived well. They had, their, they had their house. They had their clothing. They had food to eat. And she saw these poor people out in the streets and some people dying on garbage heaps. And she just... She prayed about it for a long time, and on, on one of her retreats, she had this tremendous conversion experience where our Lord was asking her to go out, go out of her comfort zone, her convent, and go out. And not that the sisters that she was living with were bad sisters or doing something wrong, but to go further and to go and meet him in the poorest of the poor, the rejected, those who were dying on garbage heaps. And, you know, at first her name wasn't well known. It didn't, wasn't immediate that she became world famous. But Bishop Sheen had heard about her. He had heard about her and the work that she was doing. And what he opes, you know, I, I think we're coming up against a break. good teaser, Mary. Let's hold off on it. Because that story about Bishop Sheen and Mother Teresa, you won't want to miss that. Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Don't forget, we've got the Opus Angelorum coming to town August 22nd to the 24th, the Sacred Heart Chapel. Go to our website to check it out. Love to see you there for those three nights. Confession, mass, adoration. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July 22nd. And again, I want to thank all of our supporters, those who support us financially, those who support us with their prayers and their sufferings, and all of those who listen to the radio and the stations that pick up our signal. Thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, we couldn't do this work. This is, this is a joint effort. We all have, we're all in this together. So we're talking about example and living our faith and by living our faith, being an example to others. And we're giving the example of St. Teresa of Calcutta and uh, the venerable Bolton J. Sheen. And St. Teresa of Calcutta, you know, she had become somewhat known because she was going out and picking up the dying in the streets of India, the untouchables, the people who had been thrown out on garbage heaps. And, and many of them were dying Catholic. They were becoming Catholics. And so Bishop Sheen, who, who was a tremendous evangelizer, his whole thing was, you know, he used to say if, if every Catholic in the world would convert five people to the Catholic Church, the whole world would be Catholic. So his whole thing was we have to, this is, we've received from Christ the greatest gift he could give, the fullness of the truth that he revealed is, is in the Catholic Church. We should be going out there and spreading this. And so he had hoped he could meet Mother Teresa and he had prayed about it. And one time he ran, ran into her providentially in an airport and he saw her and he said, Mother Teresa, you've, you've personally evangelized 15,000 people. What did you say to them? <laughs> mother, petite little mother, you know, she looks at him. I didn't say anything. What, well, what did, what? And she said, well, I would, I loved them. I would pick them up and take them out of the streets and care for them. And I loved them. And then I would ask them a question. Do you know Jesus? Oh, they would look at me with this, just, just gratefulness in their eyes and say, oh, mother, is he anything like you? And she would look at them and say, no, no, but I do try to be like him. Mm -hmm. And then they would look at her and say, oh, mother, then we want to know Jesus. So it was her example. She loved them with the love of Jesus. And by the way, she found this love in the Eucharist and in her Eucharistic adoration. She said, if I didn't see Jesus in the Eucharist, I couldn't see him in my brothers and sisters. But she would adore Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and then take him out to the people on the streets who'd been rejected, bring those people back into the houses for the dying. And they were dying people. She couldn't save their lives. She wasn't trying to. She just wanted them to know before they died that they were loved and how much they were loved so that they could accept God's love for them and get to heaven. And so that was the thing. It was her example, her love, her tremendous love, her willingness to pick up the dying out of the streets and take care of them. And they would say, oh, oh, is, is Jesus anything like you? No, no, mother. Mm. No, no, honey. No, 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 no. But, but I do try and be like him. Oh, oh, you mean there's someone who has taught you this? Then yes, we want to know him. That's a powerful story. It's a very powerful story of example. Yep. And again, yep. you know, in this, you know, some people get upset when the scripture talks about wives being submissive to their husbands. And, and then it goes on that husbands should uh, live considerately their wives because the wife is the weaker sex. It, it's just talking, it, that's a biological reference. It, women are biologically, physically weaker than men. It's not talking about their spiritual strength or their psychological strength or their, their um, learning abilities. It's, it's just a physical reality. Men are stronger than women. And so men shouldn't abuse their wives. They shouldn't intimidate them or dominate them. 
Peter's saying, no, you have consideration. And this is it. And again, if, if Christian families live together the way they're intended, like the Holy Family in Nazareth, like the love that Christ has for his church, then it gives an example to the world. And the world will just like seeing Mother Teresa love these people and these people being experiencing the love Mother Teresa has. If people experience love, if they come into a Christian home and they experience the love between the husband and wife, between the children and the parents, between the children within themselves, then they will be attracted to that love. They will be drawn to it. So it's, it's by this example that we are supposed to bring Christ to the world. And you know, that's a constant effort. There's a constant, and it's funny because, you know, family, right? You know, family is family and church are in prison. You get what you get and you don't get to pick them. You know, they come over at Christmas, they get up in your business. You know, you don't have to like them, but you love them, right? Because it's family. There's a song on the radio. It's, it's a cute, catchy song, but there's a lot of truth to it. But the, the reality is, is we are, you know, our biological family is a family and sometimes there's a lot of dysfunction there. So we can pray and ask the Lord to come into the center of that and heal that. You know, there's a lot of families who are breaking apart and have found healing Mm -hmm. in Christ. Sure. You know, Mary, what I was thinking as I was listening to you, uh, St. Paul the sixth, it was to be blessed. Now he's St. Pope Paul the sixth. He said, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers and if he does listen to teachers, it's because they are witnessing. Witnesses. And so I apply this to your own testimony. Even with your own family, you tell them why Jesus Christ is so special in your life. Right. And if you tell them how it's affected you personally, whether it's your family or friends, and they see that what you're saying is what you're doing, <laughs> You can't argue somebody's testimony. If they're living this life of a grace in the sense of the sacraments and living a, a Christ-centered life, and then they tell you that, it's so much, uh, so much more powerful when they see what you're saying and your actions, and they see that. So I always encourage people, uh, whether it's their family members or friends at work or whoever, to get their personal testimony down in the sense of how Christ has changed their lives, because this is critical in sharing the faith. Yes, and and Peter goes on to show us what this looks like. You know, mm-hmm. all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love of the brethren, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this is what you have been called. Have this for this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. We're supposed to bless one another. And there, you know, there's a beautiful story. There's a the guy called himself the storyteller, and he told this story about the story was called Do Not Discard Your Father's Heart. And it's about this boy who I, I guess the father, I don't know if it was a widower or what, but he was it's just the father and the boy. They live out on a farm in the middle of nowhere, and and the father's always cursing the son, you know, oh poor me, poor me. I'm gonna be a mis die a miserable old lonely man because you're such a wretched goat, no good son. And, you know, the son is, it's really hurting him and he's getting really tired of it. And as he gets older and he's, one day he's driving along and there's this old woman by the road and she gives, he stops and gives her a ride. And so then when they get to where she needs to go, she gets out and she says, may God bless you. And the boy says, what? May God bless you. Haven't you ever heard a blessing before? 
And, and he says, no. And she says, you are a reflection of the face of God. And the world is brighter for the joy you give me. May God bless you. And the boy's just like, whoa. So he makes a resolve. I'm going to be a person who blesses, not curses. Mm. He left, you know, moved away from his father, got married, had children, but always blessing. So every day he would bless his children. He wouldn't curse them. He would bless them. He would give them a blessing. And he made a rule in his house. In our house, there will only be spoken blessings. Blessings, blessings, blessings. We're going to bless each other. We're going to bring the Lord into our home and bless one another. And so one day this old blind beggar comes to the door and he's knocking on the door and he's just, uh, you know, I, I need a place to stay. I'm just begging for something. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the streets. I have nothing. I have no one, you know. And well, the boy recognizes him. Now, he can't see the man of the house because he's blind. And so um, the boy, the man invites him in it's in, and he's grown up and his voice has changed. And the old man is it. It's his father. So he invites him and he said, he says, grandfather, you can stay with us. We don't have grandfa a grandfather living with us. So why don't you be the grandfather here? And he said, but there's only one rule in this house. You can never speak a curse. You have to always speak blessings. And the old man's kind of grumbling or whatever, you know. So the, for a long time, the old man doesn't say anything, you know, but they keep treating him nice and being kind to him. And one day he says, he says, he says, um, well, thank you and may God bless you. Kind of gruffly. <laughs> and, and then break, eventually the old man gets, he gets better at this. He gets better at this. And he's, he's, um, he, he, he keeps, you know, doing this. But, but the, the boy, the man who had, you know, grown up under the curses of his father, he's, there's a horrible storm one night and, and he's, he goes out in the storm and he's yelling at God and he says, God, why? The curses of my father still haunt my heart. They're still there. I can't quite get them out of my mind and my heart. What, what's wrong? And he kicks the ground and there's a stone. He picks up the stone. He's going to throw it. And as he goes to throw it, he hears a voice say, do not discard your father's heart. He's like, what? And he hears the voice again, do not discard your father's heart. So he takes the stone and he brings it in the house and he puts it on the shelf. So after this old man has been living with them for years, the old man's going to die. And, and he's, he's come to the point where he's blessing. And he just says, you know, I was so cruel to my son and I was so mean to him. And I just want to tell him I'm sorry and I want to bless him. And then the boy reveals to him, I'm your son. And, and I, I'm glad that I could take you in. And I'm glad that we're reconciled. And the father dies. And after the father dies, there's the funeral. And then the, the, the boy, the, the man comes back home and he takes the stone off of the, the shelf. He still doesn't understand. And he takes the stone off of the shelf and he's sitting there at the table and he's holding the stone in his hand. He begins to weep. And as he weeps, the, his tears fall on the stone and the stone cracks. And, and he opens up the stone and there's this jewel inside. And you see, the, the old man had gotten into the habit of feeling sorry for himself and cursing everyone around him for his troubles. And so the son broke away from that and learned to bless through the kindness. He did an act of kindness for someone else. And then that person was, did an act of kindness to him, gave him a blessing. He resolves to keep the blessing and throw away the curses. And even though the curses haunt him, he still continues to struggle to, to bless, to bless, to bless. And so when his father comes to live with them, eventually the blessing that he has taught to his children, the, the habit of blessing that he's taught to his children and his wife and himself wins the heart of his father. So that in the end, he and his father are reconciled in an attitude of blessing. Mm -hmm. And he sees this jewel that was hidden under this hard, crusty surface of whatever, anger, hatred, resentment, bitterness, self-pity. Wow. Know? You know, it reminds me of a little prayer called For Guidance and Clarity. It says, 
Lord Jesus Christ, help me to live up to whatever you want of me and to do so with generosity and joy. Wow. That's a powerful prayer right there. And then it says, please help me to rest in the knowledge that nothing is so worthwhile as the fulfillment of my proper vocation. Yeah. Show me what you want me to do, then give me the strength and the courage to do it well. Amen. See, that's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. That's what life's about. Right. Yeah. Life is about that we are called to live in union with God. We were yeah. called to get to heaven. Yep. And not just to kind of sneak in there, you know, through purgatory. <laughs> we're all called to live in union with God on this earth so that we can be with him in, in union with him for all of eternity. And, you know, Mother Teresa had... She he had a prayer that she said, her sister said after, and you know, she said it, and then her sister said it after Holy Communion, you know, dear Jesus, help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. Flood our souls with your spirit and life. Penetrate and possess our whole being so utterly that our lives may be only a radiance of yours. Shine through us and be so in us that every soul we come in contact with may feel your presence in our soul. Wow. Bible with the Barbers at First Peter chapter 3 come back we'll continue on here at virgin most powerful radio Thank stay you. with us family now back to bible with the barbers if you have a question or comment call 888-526-2151 here's terry and mary danielle Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers, and we're telling some good stories here today about <laughs> I love um, spreading our faith through our example. Yeah. In our and we've talked about um, Saint Teresa of Calcutta. We told a story that was told by the storyteller, which is a story. It's not a. I don't know if it's a true story, although it may be a true story. There may be a lot of truth to that story in life, right? The power of forgiveness and and how it heals us and heals those mm -hmm. around us. But we just before the break, we I started the prayer radiating Christ. Mother Teresa and her sisters mm -hmm. would always say this after Holy Communion. And again, you know, if you want faith, ask for it. If you want to radiate Christ, ask the Lord to live in you and shine through you. So it goes on. Let them look up and see no longer us, but only Jesus. Stay with us and then we shall begin to shine, Jesus, as you shine. So to shine as to be a light to others. The light, O oh Jesus, will be all from you. None of it will be ours. Mm. It will be you shining on others through us. Let us thus praise you in the way that you love best by shining on those around us. Let us preach you without preaching, not by our words, but by our example, by the catching force, the sympathetic influence of what we do, the evident fullness of the love that our hearts bear to you. Amen. And again, this was... Mother Teresa's way of evangelization, that I will, sh I will allow the love of Jesus to shine through me. And if others ask me about it, I'll tell them Jesus is the source of this love. And then they'll want to know him. And that's, you know, Peter goes on in this letter of Peter in the chapter three, and he goes on, how are we supposed to behave? Well, Psalm, what Psalm is that? It's Psalm uh, 34, I believe, tells us a little bit about it. You know, um, keep your tongue from doing evil. Mm -hmm. Keep your lips from speaking guile. Turn away from evil and do right. Let Seek peace and pursue it. And it says that because if you do this, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, it says in the scriptures that God resists the proud. 
We need to ask the Lord to share his humility with us. And in that humility, if we become truly humble, we stop blaming the people around us for our problems. And we stop cursing everybody around us. And, and we stop, you know, there's this, we have this tendency in human nature, right? You know, it's like, it's like Peter after Jesus rose from the dead and then they're at the, the Sea of Galilee and, and, and Jesus tells Peter to follow him. You know, after the three, he gave him the chance to redeem himself. He had denied our Lord three times. Now the Lord asked him to profess his love three times. And so then they're walking along and Peter turns around and he sees the apostle John and he's like, well, what about him, Lord? And again, we're looking over our shoulder. Well, what about him? What about them? What about? And the Lord is saying, no. He says, what business is that of yours? You follow me. Follow. And that's, we need to follow the Lord. And we need to stop looking around at others. And you know, there's something that's true about this, that it can be a very lonely walk. Think about it. You know, being the only Christian in a pagan home. Do you think it might be lonely? Oh, yeah. And Yes, it, it can be. But if we, if we turn to the Lord and ask him to fill the loneliness, to fill up our hearts with his own presence, and it's, everybody is called to live a holy life. By our baptism, we're called to live in union with God and to promote the growth of the church and her continual sanctification. And the first step in that sanctification is to allow the Lord to sanctify us to ask him to sanctify us. So, you know, we might have to suffer in this world. As a matter of fact, because of original sin, there's going to be suffering. Nobody can remove all the pain from life. Nobody can remove all the sufferings. And by the way, even in your own family, even if you live in a perfectly Christian family, you know, where you're really striving to live a godly life, there's still going to be contention and, you know, there's personalities. There's, we're all diamonds in the rough. And, you know, the Mm. only way to, to, to break broke down those sharp corners is to grind them down. And so we all have things in ourselves that we have to change. And so, I don't know, Terry, you never had this experience where somebody corrects you and you get defensive right away, right? You think? Never. (laughs) That's funny. We don't. You know, Mary, I just, I'm listening to you and I'm just looking at these readings and I'm looking at the St. Ignatius commentary on all of this. And I got to recommend, we, I don't know how often, because I'm not here all the time, how often we recommend the St. Ignatius Study Bible, but the notes that they have for all these scripture verses are just really, really good. And so I just want to recommend that because um, I'll just give you an example how good they are when it says Christian husbands must be respectful and understanding towards their wives. Paul makes an additional demand that husbands should be Models of Christ's sacrificial love. And he takes Ephesians 5.25 of the weaker sex. The statement is made in reference to women's physical constitution, not her moral character, what you just read from that, because of man's natural strength. One of the things that I see in these, in these commentaries is it just makes it really practical for all of us to, to understand. You don't have to be a, a Bible um, theologian to understand these the, these uh, the readings here, and I think that this word study that Ignatius came out with uh, will help a lot with that. So I just want to encourage people to go online to IgnatiusPress.com and pick up their Ignatius Press Bible. I know you get constantly hit up with, and I get these too. What Bible version, what yeah. version of the Bible should you be yeah. using? And I think that just came in maybe a week or two right, ago. Right. Right. 
And what do you say? We use I, I, I recommend the Ignatius Study Bible. And, and again, the Revised Standard Catholic Edition, which is the Ignatius Press Bible, um, it's, it's a very good, it's not only very good, it's, it's an authentic trans- translation. We have a lot of um, modern translations that tend to water down God's holy word. And, and here, you know, when you mentioned Ephesians 5.25, where Paul yeah. says, you know, he's calling them, he's calling husbands to the sacrificial love for Christ. You know, people say, oh, women, be submissive to your husbands. Oh, how horrible. Well, what does Paul say to husbands? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then he specifies the cross. Mm-hmm. Christ gave himself up for the church. He, he poured out his blood. And so it, it, basically he's pointing at the cross and saying, husbands, this is how you are to love your wives. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll be obedient. And you know, Mary, <laughs> one of my priest friends, before anybody gets married by him, you know, he doesn't perform, he, he, he's a witness to the marriage. But uh, he says to the guy first before they meet, uh, for preparations, he says, are you willing to die like yeah. Jesus Christ died on that cross for your w- future wife? And if the guy says, well, no, nah, I'm not going that far, Father. Father ends the conversation by saying, then you're not ready to get married. Right. And people are shocked when he says that. But you know what he's noticed is that they don't get divorces when he marries somebody because he lets them know up front that this is the uh, this is the what's expected out of you when you get married. And I just think that uh, God bless him for telling them that because it's a very biblical teaching. Right. And that's the, the churches, you know, the whole church's teaching on marriage comes from Holy scripture. It comes from God. And the reality is God loved us into being mm-hmm. and he, he gains nothing from it. But he gets to share his life with us, and he desires to do that. So marriage is supposed to be a reflection of this love that God has for us. It's supposed to be first a reflection of the love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for each other within the Trinity. It's supposed to be a reflection of the love that Jesus Christ has for his church. This sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is the basis of marriage. And, you know, it's one of the difficulties with, you know, people say, well, emotions, they're just getting in the way of life, and they're not important. And it's like, no, actually, it's, it, they are important. Emotions are part of the body, and the reality is that in order for us to become mature adult human beings, our emotional life has to be mature. So when we start demanding of children and infants that they be more adult than the adults around them, we're not helping them to become adults emotional-wise. You know, little children don't reach the age of reason until sometime usually seven, maybe nine or 10, depending on the child. You know, they're different ages. Uh, Very precocious children might reach the age of reason before five, very few. So before the age they reach the age of reason, all they're capable of is emoting emotions. And so we need to learn how to guide and direct the emotions of our children and our grandchildren to help them to maneuver the emotional situations in their life, to help them exercise um, impulse control, but, but also... Not, but not on an adult level, you know, and, and I, I know sometimes people think, well, you know, you can just isolate a child. You can just, you know, at, at, at Dr. Spock, the big thing, oh, well, when it's time for the baby's bedtime, you just put him in their bed and let him cry and sleep. Well, you know, it's interesting. I remember my, I think it was my mother pointed out to us years ago when, when I was a teenager, you know, isolation is a form of punishment for the most hardened criminals, so why are you taking an infant and putting him in a room by themselves and closing the door and letting them cry themselves to sleep? 
the child has emotional needs. They need to know that they're loved. And because they can't reason, the way that they experience love is through touch, through being held, even when they're crying and screaming, yes. And I know it's hard to hold a screaming baby. You've done it for years. Yeah, a baby that cries for hours on end. But if you will, if we can grow up enough to be able to do this for our children, then our children will be able to mature emotionally. Whereas if we take them and isolate them and put them in a room and lock the door and let them cry themselves to sleep, they're not, all they're going to learn is to be angry little children. Yeah. And, and they're going to learn to press, push that anger down. And this is an important thing to learn about anger. Anger is an emotion. It's the emotion that God gave us to move the just man to correct injustice. Yep. Anger is about present evil. But the difficulty is if you're always stuffing that anger down because it's wrong to get angry, you can't get angry, you can never express anger. Well, if you teach a child that, then they'll push their anger down and it becomes explosive. Yep. But anger does something else. Anger will kill all other emotions. So that if you're not allowed to express in a constructive way, in a way that actually helps you to process the anger and the adrenaline that is produced in your system from the emotion of anger, if you're not allowed to do that and taught to do that, you'll get to the point where you can't feel any emotion. Exactly. You can't feel love. You can't feel hate. You can't feel joy. You can't feel desire. You can't feel audacity. You can't feel fear. You can't feel hope. You can't feel despair. You can't, you can't feel the other emotions because anger kills them. Hmm. And if you're in that state, you need to start forgiving. And you need to ask the Lord to show you what you're angry about. And then every day... Forgive and forgive again. All those things that you're angry about, write them down and then give them to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be able to forgive and help me to process through this in, in a healthy way there's so that a, I can begin to feel. There's a great CD, The Hidden Power of, of uh, Forgiveness. My Geek and Bob McDonald, call us and we'll get that. Stay with us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And this is the last section of this show today. So uh, I was talking before the break, and Terry mentioned Deacon McDonald's Anger and Forgiveness CD that you can get if you call 877-526-2151. And that is the processing of anger, the proper processing of the emotion of anger, and why that's so important. And that... Anger, if we just stuff anger down and don't process it properly, if we don't learn to guide and direct our emotions with our intellect, then we're going to have problems in life because the emotions are part of the body and they will cause disruption in the body. And they'll also cause disruption in our relationships. And I want to give a story. And that is the example. And, um, you know, I said beforehand, we need to forgive and forgive again. If you're, if you can't feel any other emotion, if you're not feeling any emotions, then you've allowed anger to kill your emotions and you haven't processed anger properly. There was a woman who came in to talk to a priest because for counseling. And she said, look, I, I want to divorce my husband. I don't love him anymore. I think it's a lie to live with him. There's no love. There's no feeling left. Um, I need to just call this, call it in. Just be honest and just say I'm done. And father said, you're angry. And she said, no, father, I'm not angry. There's just nothing left. There's no emotion. There's nothing. And he said, you're angry. And what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to pray and ask the Lord what it is you're angry about. And then come back and see me. So she did. She went, I don't know how long this took, but she went away and she prayed and she came back to see father. And when she came back to see father, she was 
angry, very angry. It had all come to the surface. And it turns out it was nothing big. He hadn't cheated on her. He wasn't not supporting the family. He wasn't a horrible person. It was just a thousand little inconsideracies that over the years, instead of bringing them up in a, in a calm and, and um, dignified way and saying, you know, you hurt me when you did this um, and forgiving them, she'd buried them because she didn't know how to deal with them. So little inconsiderates, you know, just human relations and not being considerate. And, and, and she had buried it and buried it to the point where she couldn't feel anything. <laughs> well, how did father help her to rectify that? What, what do I do now? What do I do with all this anger? He put her on a five-year program of daily forgiveness. Every day when these past hurts come up, I want you to forgive and forgive again and again and again. Every day. And we have to beg the Lord to help us do this. Anger produces adrenaline. (laughs) And so it has to be. And that's another thing, by the way, when you get angry about something, you need a physicality to work it out. But you don't go around hitting people. Don't go around screaming at people. Don't go around breaking things. Don't get out a gun and shoot it at somebody or, or shoot it at something. You know, there's a lot of things we do in anger that are absolutely ridiculous. When we, If we were to see a video of ourselves, we're like, did I really do that? Yeah, you really did that, honey. And you caused a lot of trauma to the people around you by the way you acted. But do a lot of physical exercise, hard physical exercise to work out the adrenaline. You can, um, you know, scribble on paper and then crumple it up and throw it away or tear it up and throw it away. You know, you can write down things. You can draw pictures. You can um, journal. But, you, but, but physically, you have to work it out. And part of the physicality of working out the anger is to actually, it helps to be moving the body, especially the hands and the arms, you know, that motion of throwing it away. But to, be, to forgive and to forgive again. You know, when an injustice has been done against us, we're going to feel anger. And, and there's, you know, so we do injustices against other people without meaning to. We're human beings. We're not perfect. We're not God. <laughs> if I were God, my family wouldn't need God. I'm not. So I've hurt my family. I've hurt my family members without ever meaning to. But I want them to know that I love them. And I'm willing to go through whatever process of healing I need, whatever process of growth I need. Maybe I wasn't emotionally mature fully when I got married. But I can mature. I can grow up. I can come to the point where instead of blaming people around me for my actions, I can say, you know what? I did that. I chose to do that. I'm sorry. It was a wrong thing to do. And, and then I can forgive when other people have hurt me. And that forgiveness will reawaken our emotions, okay? Just an important point. I think it's so important to understand. It's one of the reasons why Christian families often don't reflect Christ is because they don't know how to process the emotion of anger. So get that CD, Anger and Forgiveness, by Deacon Bob McDonald. And, and then also remember to forgive, And it's one of the things that the scripture says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a chance to work on you. If somebody did something during the day that hurt you, you're supposed to stop. This is one of the things we're supposed to do at the end of the day, that the examination of conscience and the examination of the day, stop and examine it and say, you know what? I, I will to forgive you, but I acknowledge the hurt. But we have to allow ourselves to feel the emotion, but then physically work out that emotion in a healthy way. So Peter goes on here in, in chapter in verse 15 to say, 
Do everything with, with your hearts, but in your hearts, have reverence for Christ our Lord. In your hearts, have reverence for Christ our Lord. Always reverence Christ our Lord. So whenever we deal with other human beings, try and remember that we, we see Jesus in them and we're trying to deal with them through the lens of, of seeing them as Jesus sees them. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence and keep your conscience clear so that when you are abused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What is he talking about? You know, ap apologia, the, the Greek word apology comes from this, this Greek word that's used here, okay? But it doesn't mean, it means a defense. It doesn't mean an apologizing for it. It means a defense. He's telling us, make a reasoned articulate articulation of the faith and, by, and be ready to discern any attack mounted against it. Essential to this task is an attitude of calm self-composure so that the truth will always be honored and spoken of in love. So if I'm angry, if someone has said something about the faith that has angered me, it's not the time for me to make a defense of the faith until I'm calm. I need to do it calmly. And you know how many times a discussion about the faith turns into a big argument? No, that doesn't work. That's not what Christ is asking us to do. That's not what this, this scripture passage is asking us to do. If we have to walk away for a while and become calm and come back to the discussion at another time, and again, the word defense, Greek ap apologia, often refers to a legal case presented before a judge and a jury. It is the basis for the word apologetic, which involves explaining and defending Christian faith, but it has to be done in charity, truth in charity. I'm not beating you up with the scriptures. I'm not going to force you to believe. You don't understand my faith. Some people say, well, Jesus Christ never existed. Well, honey, there's more evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ as a historical person, you know, than there is for a lot of other ancient people, you know, other historical figures that lived at his time that we believe existed. So um, that he existed is just a reality of history. Now, whether you believe he was God or not, that, that's a matter of faith because he was a man, truly man, not a human person, but truly human nature. And he was a God man, <laughs> which takes a leap of faith. So we ask God, if you want faith, it's a gift. Ask God for it. But when we defend, it doesn't help to get into arguments. And this happens a lot in family, especially when, you know, teenagers start to, to, to explore them. They say, well, I can rebel against my parents now and I can choose my own religion. And it's like, well, honey, you can, but are you choosing wisely? Are you choosing according to right reason? Or are you just believing a lot of untrue things? You know, some people say, well, there's no evidence for Christ. Well, really? The Romans wrote about him. The Greeks wrote about him. The Jews wrote about him. And the Christians wrote about him. <laughs> and they, they really existed. <laughs> so um, he really existed. Even the Muslims wrote about him. So he really was a real historical person. But that he was God, that's an, that's an article of faith. And faith is a gift if you want it, ask for it. And by the way, if you want to maintain your faith, ask God every day to help you maintain it. If you want the grace of final perseverance, ask God for it. So if we're abused for our faith, we shouldn't counterattack. We should 
and, and Terry gave it, he had a tremendous example of this at the CCD Congress. You have these people who stand outside the Congress and they're, they're, say, they're, they're Protestants, but they're Protestants who say that the, the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. So they're saying all you Catholics are going to hell. Well, what happens, and this is so sad because what happens is these Catholic people who are supposed to be CCD teachers and religious teachers are arguing. They start getting into verbal battles with these people and yelling at them. And I said, no, this isn't healthy. So there was a man out there outside of the Anaheim Convention Center once, and Terry was there. And so he walked up to the man and he said, you know, the man's carrying a sign, the Catholic Church, the Whore of Babylon. And, and, and he said to the man, can I ask you a question? And the man said, sure, what is it? Kind of probably defensively. And Terry said, well, how did you fall in love with Jesus Christ? And the guy was like, whoa, what a question. And then so the guy shares with him how, you know, he had been a womanizer and a drunkard and God had, Jesus had saved him from all he found Jesus and the gospel. And it, it saved him from this life of debauchery. And, and, you know, 20 minutes he told his story. And, and then Terry said, well, can I ask you another question? Yeah, what is it? Can I tell you how I fell in love with Jesus Christ? So then Terry had the opportunity. Now he had earned the man's respect. He had earned the right to speak to him. So he spoke to them of the Catholic faith and the fullness of the faith that Jesus had revealed and how he had fallen in love with Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist and he could receive him in Holy Communion. But without confrontation, without contention, with love and charity in a calm and dignified manner, and this applies to our family relationships too sometimes. Sometimes there's tension in the family over some miscommunication or something that somebody did or said and we're still angry about it years later and we're going to bring it up. And sometimes we need to just calmly say, can we put the past in the past? And we acknowledge that that is the past. And, and start living in the current moment and start loving one another. But we can't do that if bringing it up makes us angry and then we sound angry. And sometimes we don't hear how angry we sound. Especially if we have repressed anger, we won't realize that every word that comes out of our mouth can sound angry. It's like, but I'm not even angry. What on earth? Where's this voice coming from? And it's just, it's not the devil, honey, speaking through you. It's just repressed anger trying to express itself. Forgive and forgive again. Forgive and forgive again. And you can get that anger and forgiveness from Deacon McDonald. And um, remember that in baptism, we receive the Lord. And here in Peter's third, the third Peter, baptism saves you. Okay. Baptism saves us. It saves us from what? From sin. And so we want to renounce all sin, renew our baptismal promises and strive to live in the peace and the love that was won for us on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ and spread that love to others. And, Keep praying for our families. Keep praying for those around us. Pray for all of the conversion of all of us sinners and ask the Lord to give us the grace of final perseverance. Lord, I believe in you. Increase my faith. I hope in you. Increase my hope. I trust you. Strengthen my hope. Trust. I love you. Let me love you more and more. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on this Friday, July 22nd, 2022. Thank you for your donations, your support, your financial support, your spiritual support. Thank you for all the radio stations that pick us up. And hope we'll see you again next week on Bible with the Barbers. Tell your friends and family there's a Catholic Bible study that you can listen to.